We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 372 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, August 9th, 2022. It is the one-week anniversary of the Nationals trading away Juan Soto. The one-week anniversary of maybe slash probably the biggest trade in Washington, D.C. sports history. How we doing? Everybody all right? No? Not really? Okay, Uh, the Nats, uh, they are not all right. Not this season anyway. Another loss for the Nats on Monday night, but also for the Nats on Monday was some actual real-life good news uh, that I am excited to share with you in a bit. Uh, But hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We always much prefer to discuss good news as opposed to bad news with you. Uh, Will our commanders this coming season be giving us more good news than bad news? I hope so, but who knows? Uh, I do know that I have a lot for you on the Commanders on this installment of the podcast. Uh, Next segment, the latest from 2022 Commanders training camp. Uh, Some notable developments regarding injuries uh, that came out on Monday morning, including the return of one of the team's top tight ends. Uh, No, not Logan Thomas, although I do have a Logan Thomas update for you, kind of, sort of. But someone else uh, was back. uh, And Curtis Samuel practiced for a second consecutive practice. Yeah, you heard that right. Curtis Samuel practiced for a second consecutive practice. Uh, Also, some good stuff from Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Monday morning on William Jackson III, who actually has not been practicing so much lately, Uh, and also on the commander's secondary, and also on the humbling of the commander's defense of the disappointing season that Washington's defense had last season. Uh, speaking of a disappointing season last season, Jamin Davis, uh, he on Monday morning 
did a post-practice press conference and discussed where he's at. Uh, Ron Rivera on Monday morning talked Jamin as well. I'll get into what they had to say, as well as this new linebacker who the commanders just signed, Nathan Gary, and into the positional importance of linebacker in today's NFL. I'm sure that many of you already know that the position of linebacker does not mean what it used to mean, uh, but I have some numbers for you that really put that in perspective. Uh, I will talk nationals, including, yes, the good news of Monday, and that good news is that the Nats, per Baseball America, now have five of the top 55 prospects in baseball. Uh, That is very good news, and uh, we these days need all of the good Nats news that we can get because the team is horrendous. Uh, Another loss on Monday night, 6-3 the final at the Chicago Cubs in a game that included the Nats third baseman Michael Franco being totally asleep during a defensive screw-up in a Cubs two-run seventh. I shall explain, Uh, and I'll talk Orioles. What a Monday! For the O's, uh, first of all, they had six prospects on Baseball America's updated list of the top 100 prospects in baseball, including the number one prospect. Second of all, the O's on Monday night had a big win, a 7-4 win over the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards to move to within three games of the American League wildcard leading Blue Jays. And the O's now are a mere one game behind the Seattle Mariners, for the AL's third wildcard spot. The good times continue for the O's. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jim D on the commander's training camp practice at FedEx Field this past Saturday night. Writes Jim, I was at Saturday night's open practice at FedEx Field, and it definitely was a great time. Uh, the fans there were into the practice and it was just positive vibes all around. It's kind of a shame, though, because the now infamous photo of day two of training camp in Ashburn really painted a false picture of the state of the fan base. Uh, Sure, enthusiasm may be low relative to a while ago, and sure, the business side can be prone to making mistakes like the fan lottery, but I can see that the team is trying, and it was nice seeing that passion still does exist for this team. I hope soon the rest of the nation will see us not like day two, but like what I saw on Saturday night. Thanks again for a great podcast. P.S. On a side note, there was a pre-practice event featuring London Fletcher and Jason Wright. And when speaking on the fight song, Jason sort of quipped that fans would sing whatever version they please. Hmm. I remember thinking that the team knew what it was doing, bringing the song back. Of course, I have no issues with this. But it was notable. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. Glad that you had a good time at the practice on Saturday night. Like I said on Monday's show, episode 371, the practice was well-received. The practice was a feel-good event, and the team deserves credit for doing these primetime practices at FedEx Field over the last two years now. Uh, This was a really good idea to start doing a practice uh, once per training camp at FedEx Field on a Friday night or Saturday night free and open to the public. Uh, I'm glad that Jim mentioned the day two photo from Commander's Training Camp. So for those who don't know, that is a reference to photos on social media from day two of 2022 Commander's Training Camp, what was July 28th. uh, And the photos were of very few fans being in attendance at the practice 
at the team's headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia. And multiple reporters put out photos from that day, and the team (laughs) predictably got mocked on that day. And look, the crowd on that day was not good, okay? Uh, And I know that a lot of people believe that the lottery system that the team came up with for fan attendance at training camp practices was partly, if not mostly, to blame for the bad attendance on day two of training camp. But since that day, crowds at commander's training camp practices have been better. Uh, I don't think that anyone is like overwhelmed by the crowds, but it's not like every day of camp has been as sparsely attended as day two was. And as for the new fight song, uh, look, Jason Wright, to his credit, has said that he is okay with fans singing the lyrics to hail to the Redskins. And I think that that's a smart thing for him to say. I mean, there's no way that he could police that or prevent that anyway. So you might as well say that you're okay with that. And maybe in saying that you're okay with that, fewer people actually will want to do that. It's basic human psychology, right? If you tell people not to do something, they're going to want to do that something. And so if you say that you're okay with people doing that something, well, maybe they won't want to do that something so much. Uh, Email from Jerry Moore on the Nationals. Uh, Writes Jerry, Al, the Nats appear to be one of the worst teams ever How do they compare to some of the grand losers? Uh, Good question, Jerry. So if you're talking about just the worst winning percentage that a Major League Baseball team has ever had in a full regular season, uh, that record belongs to the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. Uh, They went 20 and 134, good for a winning percentage of 130. Uh, If you're talking about the modern era of baseball, that's since 1900, the worst regular season record is that of the 1916 Philadelphia Athletics. Uh, They went 36 and 117, good for a winning percentage of 235. And if you're talking about since MLB went to having a 162-game regular season, uh, the worst regular season record is that of the 1962 New York Mets, although they only played 160 games. Uh, the 62 Mets went 40 and 120, good for a winning percentage of 250. Uh, the worst regular season record for a major league team that actually played 162 games in its regular season is what the 2003 Detroit Tigers did, 43 and 119, good for a winning percentage of 265. As horrible as the 2022 Nationals are, I do not think that they're going to lose 119 games. Uh, Although I guess I should stress that word, think. Well, if you think that you have been wronged by the negligence of someone else, contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, just last month, 
Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million, uh, this to a former American University field hockey player, because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, You may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. Uh, I can't emphasize this enough, man. If you have a case contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, this week is a game week for the Commanders, uh, a preseason game week anyway. Uh, The Commanders will begin their 2022 preseason this Saturday afternoon at 1 with a game against the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field. In the meantime, we have the continuation of 2022 Commanders training camp at the team's headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, We on Monday morning had a practice and we on Monday morning had various developments regarding injured players. So the commanders have been really banged up at tight end, uh, but we on Monday morning did have some good news. Uh, John Bates practiced. Uh, Bates had been dealing with a calf issue, but he on Monday morning was practicing. Uh, Commanders head coach Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Monday morning on John Bates. It's good to see John. Um, we're gonna we're gonna ramp John up a little bit. You know, today he was limited with reps. He was limited in his, his teamwork and he was limited in his uh, individuals. But it was good to have him back out there. Now we're gonna just slowly transition him back out there um, and and have him um, you know increase his load every day. All right. So good news on John Bates, but remaining out for the Commanders uh, were multiple tight ends. Uh, Logan Thomas remains on the active, physically unable to perform list as he's coming off a torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus that he suffered in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders last December 5th. Uh, Cole Turner on Monday morning was on a side field as he's dealing with a hamstring issue. And Curtis Hodges on Monday morning was on a side field as well. Hodges is an undrafted rookie out of Arizona State. He's a big dude. The commanders list him as being 6'8 and 240 pounds. However, uh, Samus Reyes has been back from his hamstring issue as he now has participated in each of the commanders' last two practices, the practice at FedEx Field this past Saturday night and Monday morning's practice in Ashburn. Uh, There was no commanders' training camp practice this past Sunday. So a lot of comings and goings right now when it comes to the commanders at tight end and who's in and who's out. But what about the commanders' number one tight end? Uh, their TE1, Logan Thomas. Uh, how's he doing? Well, Ron Rivera on Monday morning was asked by commanders insider Pete Haley of NBC Sports Washington how Logan Thomas is doing. Uh, here was that exchange. Back during your first pressure camp, you said Chase really would be the first guy off the pup, and then I think you had Logan as the next one. Any update on how he's uh, progressing in his rehab? So far, he's doing pretty good. 
okay. Well, not a lot of detail uh, from Ron Rivera there on Logan Thomas. Uh, I got a kick out of that. I mean, you had that nice setup by Pete Haley, right? Ron, you said this and you said that. And so can you tell us where Logan is at? And, you know, an opportunity here for Ron to talk about the recovery of Logan Thomas. And, uh, well, Ron wasn't all that interested in saying all that much. Back during your first presser camp, you said Chase really would be the first guy off the pup, and then I think you had Logan as the next one. Any update on how he's uh, progressing in his rehab? So far, he's doing pretty good. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, that's fine. You know what? If Ron Rivera wants to Belichick it when it comes to talking injuries, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, that's okay. Uh, but personally, I am not counting on Logan Thomas being ready for week one. Uh, he got injured last December 5th. That's still only eight months ago, and he suffered multiple injuries. Again, torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus. Uh, also back practicing on Monday morning was receiver Diami Brown. Uh, he had been out for some recent practices, and also practicing on Monday morning was another commander's receiver. This one is named Curtis Samuel. Yeah, Curtis was in effect on Monday morning. The Curtis Samuel experience was in effect on Monday morning. Uh, This marked two consecutive practices for Curtis as he also participated in the practice at FedEx Field this past Saturday night. So two consecutive practices for Curtis. We call that a streak, people. Uh, Ron Rivera on Monday morning on whether Curtis Samuel practicing was part of the plan for Curtis that Ron has talked about. You've yep, been discussing. We'll, 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 we'll chill him out a little bit. Uh, he'll work on the side, continue, continue with his conditioning, continue with his rehab. Um, you know, just making sure everything's in, in, in sync. I mean, this is important. He's an important player for us. And, uh, you know, we have a plan. And, and, and again, told you the plan was put together by the, by the, by the uh, trainers and the doctor. And we just want to make sure we're sticking to it. So we're going to stay solid and continue it. Uh, and again, with the goal of knowing that, you know, he's got to be ready for the opener. Yeah, you know, we mock the Curtis Samuel situation. We have fun with the Curtis Samuel situation. But what Ron Rivera alluded to right there is correct. What matters is the regular season opener. What matters is week one. And so if the plan that Ron has talked about for Curtis is what is best to get him ready for week one, then so be it. Uh, Remember, Ron, now two Mondays ago, August 1st, revealed that Curtis is dealing with issues pertaining to, quote, overall football conditioning and shape, and, quote, but Ron emphasized that there was a plan for Curtis, uh, who, as you may have heard, uh, dealt with a bit of a groin injury last season, dealt with a bit of a groin uh, last season, causing him to play in just five of Washington's 17 games in the 2021 regular season. There's another key commander's player worth mentioning regarding injuries, and that's quarter William Jackson III. Uh, He has not been practicing much lately, and he on Monday morning was on a side field. Uh, Jackson, in the 2021 regular season, did play in just 12 of Washington's 17 games. Uh, Jackson was inactive for two consecutive games, week seven and eight, due to a knee injury. Jackson was inactive for two other consecutive games, weeks 16 and 17, due to a calf injury. 
and Jackson did not play in Washington's win at the New York Giants in Week 18 due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list. Uh, the hope, of course, is that 2022 William Jackson III will be a lot better for Washington than 2021 William Jackson III was. Uh, Jackson in the 2021 regular season registered an overall grade for Pro Football Focus of just 59.3. Uh, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Jackson in the 2021 regular season committed a team worst eight total penalties, seven of which were accepted. Five of his eight total penalties were defensive pass interference penalties. But we know that at least a good bit of Jackson's struggles last season had to do with him adjusting to a new defensive scheme. Now, I think that the question remains, uh, why did Washington in March 2021 sign Jackson as an unrestricted free agent to a three-year 40.5 million dollar contract with 26 million dollars in total guarantees only to then have him do a bunch of new things? I'm not quite sure, but uh, that's what happened. Look, William Jackson III is a talented guy. He does seem to be more comfortable with the team's defensive scheme, and he did play better as last season went on. We should keep that in mind. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on William Jackson III. I think the biggest thing with him is just about learning and understanding what we're doing, how and why we're doing it. You know, for the most part, he's a guy that's always been in a lot of man coverage situations. I think the biggest thing is just learning and understanding how to, how, to, how to play the different coverages that we have and understanding the concepts and putting it together so that, you know, it, 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 it flows together. Uh, the biggest thing, though, like I said, and I'm really pleased with it, has been the communication amongst those units. When, when doesn't matter what's our first bunch, second or third bunch that are out there, they all communicate really well, and that's been a boon for us. It's really helped us. Yeah, for what it's worth, the commander's defense has looked good so far in training camp. We talked about that a lot with commander's analyst and former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson on last Friday's show, episode 370. Uh, Logan was excellent. Definitely check out our conversation if you haven't yet done so. What about the commander's secondary? as a whole. Uh, We know that it needs to be a lot better this coming season than the secondary was last season. Uh, Washington finished the 2021 regular season at just 28th out of 32 NFL teams in pass defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric and just 31st out of 32 NFL teams and lowest opponents. Third down efficiency, 48.5%. Ron Rivera on Monday morning on what has stood out to him about the commander's secondary during training camp so far. I think how well they've communicated amongst themselves, you know, the way they handle all those things and the way they do all those things um, out there. It's just, you know, it's not just a bunch of guys out there running around chasing guys. There, there's a, there's a, a, a reason, there's a process and a reason as to how and why we do the things that we're doing. And they seem to understand that even more. And they, they seem to communicate even better. And, uh, and that's been big for us. Yeah, and that'll be big for the team come the regular season, assuming that the good communication holds up. You know, Ron Rivera and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio have been preaching humility with the commander's defense off the team's defense being such a disappointment last season. Ron on Monday morning on how he has seen the defense become more humble. Well, the biggest thing is not just about, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's just not about, you know, obviously your personality being humbled or anything like that, but it's more about learning and understanding how to. Uh, understanding it's not all about you, it's about us, and I think that's a big part of it. And you, you see the way the guys are reacting, the way the guys are handling each other. You know, it, it's great to see us be competitive, 
But at the same time, you, you, you don't want to denigrate your teammate. You want to be able to put your arm around and say, hey, yeah, I might have had success against you on this, but this is how, hey, you, you did this really good. Work on that. Hey, this is how you, you, you put yourself in position to, to be successful. It's working together. It's, it's coming together. And, 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 again, that's all part of it as far as I'm concerned. And we'll continue to, to, to preach that with our guys. Yeah, the commander's defense for the 2022 season is a major bounce back candidate in no small part because the team schedule appears to be a lot easier than the team schedule last season. But yeah, you would think that uh, some lessons have been learned uh, by this defense off the disappointment of last season. Well, if you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you know that going with the wrong real estate agent can lead to disappointment, even worse than the disappointment of last season's Washington defense. And so that's why you gotta get with Kellen Hunt. If you are on the hunt for a home in the D.C. area, get with Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. If you want to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area but are unsure whether now is the time to buy a home, know this, now is the time. Uh, It has been a crazy last few months in real estate, no doubt. But as was detailed in the Washington Post recently, there right now is a real estate market shift taking place, giving the upper hand to buyers. The window for buying a home is opening. Buyers have faced crazy competition for homes over the last few years, oftentimes losing out on homes. Well, the rising mortgage rates mean that the market now is not as competitive and inventory is starting to rise. Houses are sitting longer and we are starting to see price reductions, all good signs for buyers. Now is the time to capitalize on this. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has his finger on the pulse of developments all around the Washington, D.C. area. He is a DMV native. He lives and breathes the culture of the area. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods and economical development and schools and market conditions and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And Kellen Hunt closes deals. He wins. He is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want, no matter your age, family situation, or financial situation. Kellen Hunt can help you. He is a real estate agent for real people, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yet you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Who doesn't want some extra money right now? Give it inflation. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. So we last segment hit on the commander's defense and it hopefully uh, being a lot better in the 2022 season than Washington's defense was in the 2021 season. 
An individual commander's defensive player whose improvement could very much help the team's defense be better this coming season than the team's defense was last season is linebacker Jamin Davis. Now, before we go any further, there is a reality about the position of linebacker in today's NFL that I do think finally is starting to settle in for people. Uh, But that reality is that the position just isn't as important as it used to be. Uh, In today's pass-happy NFL, defensive backs and edge defenders matter much more than linebackers. And that's not to say that linebackers don't matter, but there's a reason that for all of the talk of Washington having needed to upgrade at linebacker since the end of last season, the team up until this past Sunday had done basically nothing at linebacker since the end of last season uh, other than sign David Mayo to a contract extension. Uh, The then Washington football team this past January 28th announced the re-signing of linebacker David Mayo to a contract extension. The extension was a one-year deal. Uh, Mayo had been set to be an unrestricted free agent in the 2022 offseason. But here are some numbers for you. Washington in the 2021 regular season for the NFL's next-gen stats played a total of just 65 defensive snaps with three linebackers on the field. That's it. Three linebackers on the field for a total of just 65 Washington defensive snaps in the 2021 regular season. And yes, you could argue that there was some chicken and egg with that because maybe if the team had had better linebackers, the team would have played more linebackers. But so much of that was just about the nature of defense in today's NFL. Teams have at least five defensive backs on fields way more often Then not. Uh, How about this? NFL teams in the 2021 regular season for football outsiders played with five or six defensive backs on 75.3% of defensive snaps. Yes, 75.3%. of defensive snaps were with five defensive backs, what is called a nickel defense. Uh, 13.9% of defensive snaps were with six defensive backs, what is called a dime defense. And a mere 23.4% of defensive snaps were with four defensive backs, or what is called the base defense. I mean, how about the Buffalo Bills? The Bills in the 2021 regular season played nickel on 92% of their defensive snaps. 92%. And if you're wondering, well, how the Bills defense do last season? (laughs) Uh, The answer is exceptionally well. The Bills finished the 2021 regular season number one in the NFL in pass defense for football outsiders DVOA metric and finished the 2021 regular season at number one in the NFL in total defense per DVOA. So with all of that as a backdrop regarding the positional importance of linebacker, uh, let's talk Jamin Davis. Uh, He did not have a good rookie season, as you surely know. Uh, Washington took Jamin with the number 19 pick in the 2021 NFL Draft out of Kentucky. He, in the 2021 regular season, played in 16 of Washington's 17 games, but he registered an overall grade for pro football focus of just 46.8 Uh, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Jamin, during his rookie season, looked slow, uh, looked like he was thinking way too much. Uh, Jamin, on Monday morning, did a post-practice press conference at Commander's training camp. Here he was on feeling more comfortable this training camp. Everything is way more slowed down for me. Uh, I feel like more of myself. I'm just really out there trying to make more plays. 
Yeah, and you'll hear Jamin Davis keep coming back to that, wanting to make more plays. He last season made very few plays, and he knows that. Uh, Consider this, Jamin on Monday morning on how his training camp is going overall, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Oh, I'm loving it so far. I'm doing what I can, going out there making plays, and like I said, I'm just way more comfortable with everything around me, so it should be a pretty big season this year. What to you would be a big season? Say again? What to you would be a big season? Going out there and making way more plays than I did last year. So that's, that's really the baseline for me, just going out there and try to do what I can to become an all-pro linebacker for this team. Hey, all-pro linebacker certainly would be nice. Uh, now, in fairness to Jamin Davis, he last season was asked to play a role for which he clearly now was ill-suited. Uh, Mike linebacker, i.e. middle linebacker in a 4-3 base alignment, i.e. the quarterback of the linebackers. Uh, Jamin did not do well in this role. That's almost certainly why he did so much more thinking than reacting. How much of things having slowed down for Jamin is a function of him no longer being asked to be the Mike linebacker? I think a lot of it is more more so just having that experience and having reps and just being like, okay, now I've seen this before, so now I can be in the right place at the right time and just play a lot faster. All right. Uh, Here was Jamin Davis on Monday morning on what playing on the outside, as opposed to being the Mike linebacker, has done for his game. I mean, like I always said before, I line up and play wherever they want me to. But I mean, just going forward, just being more comfortable in my own skin and going out there and trying to play as fast as possible, because that's the key to anything is just going out and playing forward. So, I mean, you just really just sit and trust the process. Don't really doubt yourself and just go out there and continue to do what you've always been doing and not really change it much about anything. And uh, before you know it, it's going to be time to make some more plays. And there was that emphasis again on needing to make more plays. It's tricky with Washington having spent that number 19 pick in the 2021 draft on Jamin Davis because there were a lot of people who felt that Washington overdrafted Jamin. And at least right now, you have to say that those people look correct. But at the same time, Commander's head coach Ron Rivera, Commander's general manager Martin Mayhew, and Commander's executive vice president of football slash player personnel Marty Herney uh, all have histories of drafting quality linebackers. Uh, Marty Herney served two stints as Carolina Panthers general manager 2002 to October 2012 and July 2017 to December 2020. Herney as Panthers GM took linebacker Will Witherspoon in the third round of the 2002 NFL Draft, took linebacker Thomas Davis, number 14 overall in the 2005 NFL Draft, took linebacker John Beeson, number 25 overall in the 2007 NFL Draft. Ron Rivera worked with Marty Herney for the Panthers as Panthers head coach from January 2011 to October 2012, and then from July 2017 to December 2019. The Panthers during those stints took maybe the best player in the history of the franchise, uh, linebacker Luke Keekley, with the number nine pick in the 2012 NFL Draft. Uh, Martin Mayhew, he spent 15 years in the Detroit Lions organization, 2001 to 2015. He was their general manager from September 2008 to November 2015, Mayhew as Lions GM took linebacker DeAndre Levy in the third round of the 2009 NFL Draft, took linebacker Tyre Whitehead in the fifth round of the 2012 NFL Draft. So when Washington took Jamin Davis, there was to me a benefit of the doubt 
that Rod Rivera, Martin Mayhew, and Marty Herney deserved, especially considering, right, that Ron himself was a quality NFL linebacker and that the commander's defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, was a quality NFL linebacker. Rod Rivera on Monday morning on where he is seeing growth from Jamin Davis in 2022 commander's training camp. I think the biggest thing is just learning. You know, it's hard when, when, when you're used to, to playing a specific way, a certain way, and then you come in and, and now it's, it's, it's completely a, a whole new ball game. It really truly is. It's, it's a different type of learning. It's a different type of playing. This game is vastly different from the college game. And, uh, you know, with him, it's just a matter of getting opportunities and picking it up. And, uh, you know, he continues to get reps and continues to do well. I mean, we're, we're pleased with where he is, and uh, we're excited to see him play on Saturday. Yeah, the Commander's preseason opener is this Saturday afternoon at 1 against the Panthers at FedEx Field. Keep this in mind with Jamin Davis, too. He was only a starter at Kentucky for one season, uh, his 2020 junior season. That's it. Uh, Jamin was a meteoric riser in the 2021 pre-draft process. He at the Kentucky Pro Day in March 2021, ran a 4.37-second 40-yard dash time and had a 42-inch vertical leap. For comparison's sake, uh, former Redskins receiver Deshaun Jackson at the 2008 NFL Scouting Combine ran a 4.35.40. Jamin at his Kentucky Pro Day in March 2021 ran a 4.37.40. Jamin's 40 time at his Pro Day was nearly as fast as Deshaun Jackson's 40 time at the 2008 Combine. Think about that. And so what about Jamin Davis in pass coverage. Uh, Ron Rivera on Monday morning on Jamin in pass coverage. I, I think that's one of the things that he does really well. I, I think his, his, his pass coverage is, is solid, it's sound. Um, he seems to understand the concepts very well. Uh, one thing he, he, he does well is, is he has the ability to run and burst. Um, he plays with pretty good vision. He anticipates well. And, and when you see him, he puts his foot in the ground, he goes. And, and that's what you got to be able to do in, in this league is, you know, once you identify what's happening out there, you've got to be able to go make a play. And, and because of his athleticism, I think he does. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you go and look at the look at the his past his past breakups, look at the things that he's done on, you know, driving and making the plays again. I, I go back to the, to the big play he made against Buffalo on the fourth and one. That was man coverage. Uh, he did a great job with that plant and drive on that. Yeah, and the play that Ron Rivera was referencing right there came in Washington's loss at the Buffalo Bills in week three of last season. First quarter on a fourth and two for the Bills at the Washington 35, Jamin Davis tackled running back Devin Singletary for no gain on a shotgun completion by Bills quarterback Josh Allen. Uh, now, Washington did lose that game, uh, 43-21. Uh, Josh Allen in that game did carve up Washington, 32-43 uh, for 358 yards, four touchdowns and no interceptions. And he had a fourth quarter rushing touchdown, so he counted for five touchdowns. But uh, that play was a nice play by Jamin Davis. Look, Jamin Davis is a very gifted player. Everything that you hear about him is that he is a good dude and has a very good work ethic. He has a lot of work to do to establish himself as having been worthy of a first-round pick in the 2021 draft, but I don't think that it's nuts to think that he'll have a step-forward season this coming season. The ingredients are there. 
As for this veteran linebacker who the commanders just signed, uh, the commanders on Sunday announced the signing of unrestricted free agent linebacker Nathan Gary. Uh, The 2022 season would be Gary's age 27 season. He is a veteran of the NFC East. Uh, Gary played for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, He was taken by the Eagles in the fifth round of the 2017 NFL Draft out of Nebraska. Uh, Gary played for the Eagles for four seasons, 2017 through 2020. Gary in the 2019 regular season played in all 16 of the Eagles games with 12 starts and total two and a half sacks, five quarterback hits, two interceptions, and five pass defenses. But also for Gary uh, during his time with the Eagles were some brutal rankings for pro football focus. Uh, Gary for the 2020 regular season among qualified NFL linebackers ranked just number 83 in overall grade per PFF, just number 92 in coverage grade per PFF, and just number 42 in run defense grade per PFF. And Gary for the 2019 regular season among qualified NFL linebackers ranked just number 61 in overall grade per PFF, just number 45 in coverage grade per PFF, and just number 71 in run defense grade per PFF. Uh, Gary did not play in an NFL regular season game in the 2021 season. Uh, He, in March 2021, signed as an unrestricted free agent with the San Francisco 49ers, but they, in July 2021, waived him with an injury designation. The Niners, last September, did sign Gary to their practice squad, but they then, in November, released Gary from the practice squad. Rod Rivera, on Monday morning, on Nathan Gary. You know, we're, we're big and stout for the most part. Um, you know, we wanted a guy that could run, can cover. Uh, you know, Nathan has a, uh, ha- has a very good and extensive background in coverage. He can run well, uh, and he's, he's a solid special teams guy. So he gives us some added depth. He gave us a, a little something we didn't have, and that was a, another cover linebacker backer that we felt could really run and make a contribution that way. Yeah, there's no guarantee that Nathan Gary will even make the commander's season opening 53-man roster, but he could add some depth to a position in linebacker at which the team uh, doesn't have much depth right now. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Well, let's start with the good news for the Nationals from Monday, shall we? There has been so much bad news, so much negativity with the Nats lately, and for good reason. But how about we start with some good news for a change? Is that all right with everyone? Okay, thank you. Uh, Baseball America on Monday put out an updated list of the top 100 prospects in baseball. The Nats have five players among the top 55 prospects in baseball. Never mind five in the top 100, five in the top 55. Hey, when you trade away Juan Soto, uh, you should have something to show for that. And the Nats now do. Now, who is and isn't considered a prospect can vary from media outlet to media outlet, but per Baseball America, the Nats have five of the top 55 prospects in baseball, and the top three of those prospects were all acquired via the trade with the San Diego Padres as part of the six-player package for, yes, right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell last Tuesday, August 2nd. Uh, Shortstop C.J. Abrams, he is the number 11 prospect in baseball for Baseball America. Uh, The Padres took Abrams with the number six pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of a high school in Georgia. Outfielder Robert Hassel III, he is the number 25 prospect in baseball for Baseball America. Uh, The Padres took Hassel with the number eight pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of a high school in Tennessee. Outfielder James Wood, he is the number 39 prospect in baseball for Baseball America. Uh, The Padres took Wood in the second round of the 2021 MLB draft out of IMG Academy in Florida. Uh, He is a local. Uh, He grew up in Rockville, Maryland. His initial high school was St. John's College High School in Washington, D.C., and he is a big person. Uh, Wood is listed as being a 6'7 and 240 pounds. And then the Nats' uh, other top prospects are two guys who the Nats took with recent first-round picks. Uh, Outfielder Elijah Green is the number 52 prospect in baseball. For Baseball America, the Nats took Green with their first-round pick this year uh, with the number five pick in the 2022 MLB draft out of IMG Academy in Florida. And starting pitcher Cade Cavalli is the number 55 prospect in baseball for Baseball America. The Nats took Cavalli with the number 22 pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of the University of Oklahoma. So there you go. Some good news for our rebuilding but oh-so-bad Nats. Uh, And now to their latest loss, uh, a 6-3 loss at the Chicago Cubs on Monday night in game one of a three-game series. The Nats in the 2022 regular season now are a major league worst 36-75. and That works out to a winning percentage of 324, which works out to 110 losses over 162 games. Yes, the Nats, as we speak, are on pace for a 110-loss season. Let that sink in. Uh, The Nats on Monday night did hit two home runs. Uh, That is rare by 2022 Nats standards, a two-home run game for the Nats. But uh, that was about it offensively for the Nats in the game. Just three runs, just eight hits, two homers and six singles, just one walk. Uh, The two homers came from Luke Voigt and Joey Manessis. Uh, Voigt on Monday night 
as the Nats starting first baseman and number three batter, one for four with a solo homer. Avoid in the Nats one run sixth, a one out opposite field solo homer to right center field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1. The homer went and projected 421 feet per stat cast. Uh, The Nats got Voigt from the Padres last Tuesday, and he so far has hit quite nicely for the Nats. Uh, Five games, an OPS of 1,265. (laughs) Not bad. Uh, And then Joey Manessis. He on Monday night came off the bench and had a big pinch hit. Manessis in an Nats two-run eighth, a pinch two-out, full count, two-run homer to center field to cut the Nats' deficit to 6-3, despite having been down to the count at 1.12. One, one, uh, that homer went a projected 405 feet per stat cast. The Nats, last Tuesday, August 2nd, selected the contract of Manessis from AAA Rochester. Uh, this season is his age 30 season, uh, was his 10th minor league season. Now, I ranted on Joey Manessis on Monday's show, episode 371, uh, for not hustling over the weekend. Manessis in the Nats' 11-5 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies this past Saturday night in the Nats' one-run seventh had a one-out single off the left field wall as he out of the box was admiring the hit as opposed to hustling, uh, but his hustle was not an issue on Monday night uh, with that pinch two-out full count two-run homer to center field. But like I said, otherwise, not a lot happening for the Nats offensively on Monday night. Uh, Lane Thomas did get on base three times. He is an Nats starting right fielder and number seven batter, went one for two with a single a walk and a hit by pitch. Thomas in the top of the fifth drew a leadoff hit by pitch. Thomas in the top of the seventh drew a one-out five-pitch walk. Thomas in the top of the ninth had a leadoff opposite field single to right field despite having been down to the count at 1.12. Uh, Nelson Cruz did have two hits. He is an ad-starting DH and number four batter, two for four with two singles. Uh, Cruz in the top of the fourth, a one-out single up the middle despite having been down to the count at 1.12. And Cruz in that Nats, a two-run eighth, a two-out single up the middle. Now, the Nats in their four-game sweep at the Phillies this past Thursday through Sunday had one of the worst series from a starting pitching standpoint that you'll ever see a major league team have. Uh, Well, the bad starting pitching for the Nats continued on Monday night. Anibal Sanchez on Monday night, four runs in five innings. Uh, He gave up seven hits, two home runs, a double, and four singles. He issued two walks. He recorded three strikeouts. He, over his five innings, threw 91 pitches, 56 strikes, versus 35 balls. Uh, Now, Sanchez actually began his outing with two perfect innings, but he then, in the bottom of the third, allowed three runs. Uh, Sanchez gave up a leadoff homer to Nelson Velasquez to left field for a 1-0 Cubs lead. Sanchez issued a four-pitch walk of Nick Madrigal. Sanchez gave up a two-out full count homer to Christopher Morrell to left field for a 3-0 Cubs lead, despite Morrell having been down at the count of 1.02. And then Sanchez, in the bottom of the sixth, was charged with a run as he began the inning by giving up back-to-back singles and then got pulled from the game. These Anibal Sanchez starts just feel so pointless. Uh, He is in his age, 38 season. The Nats this past March signed Sanchez to a minor league contract off him having not pitched at all at the major league level in the 2021 regular season and off him having struggled for the Nats in the 2020 regular season. He is only starting games for the Nats because they have so few viable major league starting pitching options, and he predictably has struggled. Uh, Sanchez now over five major league starts in the 2022 regular season has allowed 22 runs, 21 earned in 25 innings, a 756 ERA. 
Uh, three Nats relievers on Monday night combined to allow two runs in three innings. Steve Ciszek in the bottom of the sixth faced three batters, recorded three outs, although he did give up an RBI single to Nico Horner on the very first pitch that Ciszek threw to give the Cubs a 4-1 lead. But Ciszek did then record back-to-back strikeouts, uh, the second of which resulted in a strike-him-out, run-him-down double play. Uh, Hunter Harvey, he in the bottom of the seventh allowed two runs, but in that inning was more incomprehensibly bad defense by the Nats. Uh, the Cubs, with runners on first and second and one out, tried a double steal. Harvey stepped off the mound and threw to third base and plenty of time to get the runner. But the Nats' third base man, uh, Michael Franco, wasn't close enough to the base to make the tag. He caught the throw from Harvey, but Franco did not make it to the base in time to make the tag. And so Rafael Ortega ended up sliding into third base safely, and the Cubs ended up pulling off a double steal despite Hunter Harvey having not thrown a pitch. Uh, This was brutal. From Michael Franco. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters late night on Monday night. Uh, you'll hear multiple questions and answers. What did you see in the, the eighth inning on that play with, with Harvey and Franco with the guy advanced to third base? What, what should have happened on that play and what were you looking for there? Yeah, Franco needs to get to the base. Uh, you know, he, I mean, uh, Harvey did the right thing, stepped off and, and threw a strike, you know, and um, just uh, Franco didn't get to the base. How, when, fr- how frustrating is that when they eventually score the run on the sack fly the next play and you know, the extra 90 feet make a difference in that situation? Yeah, that's, a, that's a huge difference. I mean, that, you know, that's two outs right there, and the next guy hits a fly ball. When young players make mental mistakes, you kind of say, okay, they learn from it. When veterans do that kind of thing, is it tougher to accept? Yeah, it's 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 tough. I mean, uh, like I said, I mean, he should he should have got to the base, um, and, and it didn't happen. You know, we'll talk to him. I'll talk to him tomorrow about it. Uh, you know, a mistake's a mistake to me. You know, but it's a it's a teaching moment, especially when they're young. Um, and we'll you know, like I said, we'll go over, I'll go over all the game, and then we'll tomorrow I'll I'll, uh, I'll talk to the guys that I need to talk to. Um, but we just got you know we can't afford to give up. You know, a couple outs like that, you really can't. Yeah, not good from Michael Franco in that Cubs two-run seventh on Monday night. Uh, Mason Thompson did toss a scoreless bottom of the eighth. But hey, the Nats, per Baseball America, do have five of the top 55 prospects in the sport. And if you're a Nats fan, that's what truly matters right now. Just keep saying that to yourself over and over again if you are a Nats fan. Five of the top 55. Five of the top 55. That's like the only way right now to numb the pain of all of these losses. Uh, Game two at the Cubs is on Tuesday night at 8.05. Paolo Espino will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, a big win for the Orioles on Monday night. Game one of a three-game series against the American League wildcard leading Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And the O's won. The O's, Joe Angel, were in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column, a 7-4 win over the Blue Jays. Uh, the O's in the 2022 regular season now are 57-52, and including 43-28 and since their 14-24 and start, and now are a mere three games behind the Blue Jays for the American League's top wildcard spot, and the O's now are a mere one game behind the Seattle Mariners for the AL's 
third wild card spot. Uh, the O's on Monday night mashed their way to victory. The O's and Blue Jays combined to hit six home runs, but the O's hit four of the home runs. And let's start with the Oriole who was back, Austin Hayes. Uh, he was the Orioles starting left fielder and number six batter in his return from a four-game absence caused by tightness in his left oblique. Hayes went two for four with a solo homer and a single. Uh, Hayes in the Orioles one run six hit a two out solo homer to left field over the Great Wall of Baltimore for a 6-2 Orioles lead despite having been down at the count at 1.12 the homer went a projected 426 feet for StatCast. Uh, we on Monday night had back-to-back home runs by Anthony Santander and Ryan Mountcastle uh, with two outs and what ended up being a two-run third. Uh, Santander, he was the Orioles starting DH and number three batter. He went two for three with a solo homer, a single, and a walk. Uh, he and the Orioles three-run first drew a one-out six-pitch walk. Santander in the Orioles two-run third smashed a two-out solo homer to left center field for a 4-1 Orioles lead. The homer went a projected 415 feet per stat cast and was Santander's team leading at 20th homer of the 2022 regular season. And Santander in the Orioles one-run eighth had a single. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle, he on Monday night as the Orioles starting first baseman and number four batter went two for three with a solo homer, an RBI single, and a walk. Uh, Mountcastle in that Orioles two-run third, a two-out full count solo homer to left field over the Great Wall of Baltimore for a 5-1 Orioles lead despite having been down to the count at one point. One-two. Uh, Mountcastle's homer went a projected 426 feet per stat cast and was his first home run since July 3rd. It had been a while since Ryan Mountcastle had homered. Uh, he has not had a great last few weeks, but he had a good night on Monday night. He and the Orioles one run sixth, drew a leadoff six pitch walk, and Mountcastle in the Orioles one run eighth had an RBI single through the left side of the infield for a 7 4 Orioles lead. O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Monday night on Ryan Mountcastle and then Austin Hayes. Yeah, great to see Mountcastle. Uh, you know, it's been grinding lately. And it's been it's been a tough couple of weeks, and to see him get on one and hit, hit it the way he did, um, and the big tack on base hit there too. Um, so that that's definitely a positive for us is to get Mountie going, and then Hazy off, you know, after not after not playing for a while and uh, getting a base hit and a, and, a, and a huge homer there also. Um, that was it was a good offensive night for our guys. Yes, it was. And the Orioles' first homer of the game on Monday night uh, was their most productive homer. Uh, Ramon Arias on Monday night as the Orioles' starting second baseman and number five batter went one for four with a three-run homer. Uh, Arias in the Orioles' three-run first smashed a two-out opposite field three-run homer to right center field for a 3 nothing Orioles lead. Uh, that homer went a projected 399 feet for StatCast. So the O's for the game had seven runs, did total just nine hits, but four of the nine hits were home runs. Uh, The other five hits were singles. That is the power, no pun intended, of the home run. Uh, It can cover up a lot of flaws. Uh, By the way, two of the Orioles' four walks on Monday night were drawn by the Phenom, uh, Adley Rutschman, who continues to get on base like crazy. Uh, Rutschman as the Orioles' starting catcher and number two batter on Monday night. 0 for 2, okay, 
but he had two walks. A Rutschman in the Orioles, three-run first, drew a one-out seven-pitch walk. Rutschman in the Orioles, one-run eighth, drew a leadoff five-pitch walk. Adley Rutschman's on-base percentage for the 2022 regular season at the Major League level now is up to 365. Uh, the Orioles' starting pitcher on Monday night was Jordan Lyles. Uh, he was solid. Wasn't great, but it was solid. Two runs in five and two-thirds innings, so the run prevention was there. Now, he did give up eight hits, two homers, and six singles. He issued two walks. He recorded just one strikeout, and he over his five and two-thirds innings threw 103 pitches, 67 strikes versus 36 balls. But ultimately, two runs in five and two-thirds innings. Hard to complain a lot about that. Uh, the Orioles' bullpen on Monday night was so-so, but it was good when it needed to be good. Uh, four Orioles relievers combined to allow two runs in three and a third innings. CNL Perez faced just one batter, but recorded a big strikeout. He in the top of the sixth with a runner on first two outs, and the O's leading 5-2 struck out Kevin Biggio on six pitches. Uh, Dylan Tate tossed a perfect top of the seventh with two strikeouts, but he and Joey Crable in the Blue Jays' two-run eighth combined to allow the two runs on three singles and an RBI sack fly, and Crable in the inning also committed a throwing error and issued a two-out four-pitch walk of Kevin Biggio, but Felix Batista, one and a third scoreless innings for a four-out save, uh, including striking out the Blue Jays' number four batter, Teoscar Hernandez, on four pitches for the second out in the top of the ninth with runners on first and second, and the O's nursing a 7-4 lead. Brandon Hyde, during his postgame press conference on Monday night, got asked about keeping the O's in the cliche one-game-at-a-time approach, as the O's are in the midst of a pretty important stretch here, 13 of 14 games against the American League East. Here was Hyde's answer. I just think not changing anything, honestly. Just the same mindset every day. Um don't really talk about it you know it's just try to win tonight attitude and uh um, i don't i honestly don't hear guys talking about where we are in the standings or or anything like that it's about winning today's game and and our guys are are coming to the park with confidence and that's what they're trying to do so a big win for the O's on Monday night, and the win came off very good news earlier in the day. Uh, Baseball America on Monday put out an updated list of the top 100 prospects in baseball. The Orioles have six players on the list, including the number one prospect in baseball. Shortstop slash third baseman Gunnar Henderson, he is the number one prospect in baseball. For Baseball America, how about that? The O's are back to having the number one prospect in baseball. Uh, off, remember, catcher Adley Rutschman having been the number one prospect in baseball. The O's took Henderson in the second round of the 2019 MLB draft out of a high school in Alabama. Uh, starting pitcher Grayson Rodriguez, he is the number four prospect in baseball. For Baseball America, the O's took Rodriguez with the number 11 pick in the 2018 MLB draft out of a high school in Texas. Shortstop Jackson Holiday, uh, he is the number 41 prospect in baseball. For Baseball America, the O's took Holiday with the number one pick in the 2022 MLB draft out of a high school in Oklahoma. Lefty starter D.L. Hall, uh, he is the number 61 prospect in baseball. For Baseball America, the O's took Hall with the number 21 overall pick in the 2017 
MLB draft. Uh, outfielder Colton Kowser. He is the number 97 prospect in baseball per Baseball America. The O's took Kowser with the number five pick in the 2021 MLB draft out of Sam Houston State. And shortstop slash third baseman slash second baseman Jordan Westberg. He is the number 98 prospect in baseball per Baseball America. The O's took Westberg with the number 30 pick in the 2020 MLB draft out of Mississippi State. So isn't it funny? The O's have six players in Baseball America's top 100 prospects and the top ranked Orioles prospect, indeed the number one prospect in the sport per Baseball America, is the lone prospect out of the six Orioles prospects who was not a first round pick, Gunnar Henderson. The O's took him in the second round of the 2019 MLB draft. But this is why it is so exciting to be an O's fan right now. The team is doing surprisingly well, and the team's farm system remains loaded. Game two for the O's against the Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Tuesday night at 7.05. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 373, will include plenty from 2022 Commanders Training Camp as the team will be practicing on Tuesday morning. Also, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles, and that's on Tuesday night at 8.05. We'll have game two of their three-game series at the Chicago Cubs. The O's on Monday night at 7.05. We'll have game two of their three game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Back during your first pressure camp, you said Chase really would be the first guy off the pup, and then I think you had Logan as the next one. Any update on how he's uh, progressing in his rehab? So far, he's doing pretty good. 